0: Hi, hello, and welcome. This is the Zonecast, where we interview emerging Canadian professionals, entrepreneurs, and academics. And today we have with us on the show, Howard Levitt, Senior Partner at Levitt LLP. Hi, Howard. How are you? Welcome to the show. I'm well. Thank you so much. Awesome. I'm very excited to... Uh, start this conversation and I want to start by talking about your uh, background. So can you tell us about your professional and personal background? Well,
1: I started as a kid in Hamilton and it's a pretty scrappy town. that probably made me a little bit the way I am today. Went to U of T law school and articled at McCarthy's where I spent most of the year working for John J. Robinette, who most people say he was the top lawyer of the 20th century. So that was pretty interesting integration of the field of law, always interested in labor law. So that was what I went to law school to do, going from Hamilton, which was a very union oriented town. If you're interested in politics, and I am interested in politics, then you're interested in labor law, because Mm. it is politics, writ large. So after that, I started my own firm at one point, then joined a big firm, Lang Michener, and it Ultimately dissolved and joined Macmillan. I went out on my own with a group of a group of lawyers, and now we were four then, and now just a few years later, we're twelve. Wow! And growing.
0: Twelve and growing. Yes, that's, uh, that's amazing. So, what attracted you to the law profession? Do you come from a family of lawyers? No, or is it something just no. I wasn't interest.
1: No, I just I, law seemed to be an interesting set of tools to have in any area of life. And as I said, labor law interested me a great deal. So I thought that would be a good way to practice law and maybe get into politics eventually Mm -hmm. and keep my
0: interests sharp. Mm -hmm. So you have an interest in, in, in politics in working in the public sector for the government?
1: Well, being a politician, not working in the public sector, I would never want to work in the public sector. Be antithetical to my personality, but <laughs> I thought I'd be a politician. I don't think at this point I'm likely to ever become a politician. Okay, but you never know. But at some point, you become too old to really start as a, going to politics for the first time.
0: Okay, Interesting. and
1: I could probably have more impact now than anybody in politics, other than perhaps members of cabinet, mm-hmm. certainly more than the average member of parliament or. MPP or backbencher of any party because I can in, in the columns I write and the radio shows I do mm-hmm. in the cases I run I have a lot more impact yeah and a lot more profile than about 98 percent of politicians
0: mm-hmm. can you tell us about some of the major <clears throat> clients you have worked with
1: well I act for a lot of Canada's biggest companies and particularly in the broadcast field Rogers that, of course, includes City TV, Shock Communications. That includes, course, television, um, Development Bank of Canada, Cooperators Insurance, lots of medium-sized companies like Egan Visual. act uh, for, I don't know, hundreds of companies, really.
0: Mm-hmm. So you must be familiar and with... And a lot of executives as well, of course. So, so you must be familiar with the recent... Uh, I was just reading this yesterday, I think... Uh, Faith Goldie's case, I think it was against Bell uh, for refusing to uh, uh, run her ads. What do you think about that?
1: I, well, it's not my field. I do labor and employment law, and there's oh, enough okay. of that to keep me busy. I've been <laughs> on News Talk 1010 on the story today about the statistics. Sorry, yesterday. I was on CHML and Hamilton Radio today on Statistics Canada survey about what the percent, 19% of women and 14% of men say they've been harassed in the last year in the workplace. And that Mm. was taken in 2016. I suspect it'll be higher today after the Me Too movements come out. No, not necessarily sexual harassment, but harassment broadly defined. In fact, a small percentage of it was sexual. Most of it was abusive treatment in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And I was on CP24 yesterday as well, talking about Tavener and his potential appointment to the OPP, his head and his decision to revoke his resignation from the police force. So two days, three media appearances, that's a lot more press than politicians get, unless you're the prime minister or a very senior cabinet minister. (laughs) And that's regular for me. There isn't a a week that goes by where I'm not four or five times in the media.
0: Mm -hmm. So I saw your interview uh, as part of the negotiation project uh, at Ryerson University. and. it was a very interesting interview, um, and you talked about your approach to litigation. Can you t- can you share that with us?
1: Well, I, like probably many senior lawyers, have many approaches to litigation. So it's hard to say what is my approach to litigation. My approach is to be fi- single-focusedly f- supportive of my client's needs and figuring out whatever it takes within the limits of the law to accomplish their objectives and to make the other side think eight times before continuing the fight or suing them in the first place or being sued by them in the first place, depending on, of course, which side I'm on, because for both executives and corporations. But it's to be tough and tenacious not to make easy deals with the other side, which too many lawyers in my field of employment and labor law do, but try and ensure not that everybody walks away happy, but that my client walks away happy and the other side probably walks away unhappy. Mm -hmm. Interesting.
0: Uh, And one thing that I particularly remember that you mentioned is you you pay special attention to the examination for discovery. Yes, I do. uh, Stage of the pretrial process. Uh, Can you tell us more about how this works?
1: Well, sure. Examination for discovery is a process in every civil claim, other than small claims court, in which you get to examine the other side. So, for example, if you're a woman who's a subject of sexual predation, harassment, abuse, you go to the court, the police, there's no disclosure of what the other side is. And the other side, in fact, the accused doesn't even have to testify at their own trial, like Gomeshi, who never testified at any of those trials. Wow. If you, that's a fact. If you sue civilly, in other words, if you sue in the court system for money, you can require the other side to attend an examination for discovery. Mm-hmm. And you get to examine them under oath, or at least your lawyer does. And then if they don't attend a trial, the, the court makes what's called an adverse inference. They assume that they wouldn't have anything positive to say in support of their own case. Mm. So as a practical matter, they will be there testifying. And before that, you've already had them examined under oath. And you get money at the end. But examination for discovery, people prepare for trials. Yeah, Everybody knows about trials. Yeah, But they're not very often very well prepared for examination for discovery. Mm-hmm. But what they say at discovery binds them at the trial and mm-hmm. creates contradictions between what they say then and what they say at trial, and gets admissions you can read to the judge as a trial as part of your case. So I try and be very well prepared at examination for discovery. At trial, they're going to be very well prepared because they'll have spent several years in the case and lots of time preparing for the trial, and they're going to be, therefore, much less, it's going to be harder to get admissions from them. Oh. but they're not so prepared at discovery. They tend not to take it as seriously. So therefore, I focus, of course I focus at trial. Everybody does, but I really focus examination for discovery when they're not quite ready. And then I try and get my admissions there when they haven't really thought through their case as closely as they will have by the time they get to trial. And I win many of my cases by getting admissions at discovery.
0: So cases can be won or lost just in that It's a
1: practical matter, yes. Of course, there's not a judge rendering a judgment, but you have the tools to make the case very easy to win. And, of course, then I have the discovery. So then we have a pre-trial before trial where you sit down with the judge of the court, and the judge says, here's what I would do, and tries to get the case settled. They, and most cases that aren't settled by then settle at pre-trial. But if you come with admissions from discovery, which I put into my pre-trial memorandum, The judge is very persuaded by that. They're able to stay on the other side, Mrs. So-and-so or Mr. So-and-so. Your client's already admitted to A, B, and C for Mr. Levitt. I don't see how he could possibly win now. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, if they say the same thing at trial, they're they're done. That's why it's a good admission. And if they try and change their story at trial, it's not credible. Mm. Because they've already said the opposite two years earlier, examination for discovery, and frankly, their memory's fresher. So it's hard for them to take a different story because that's even probably even worse for them than just admitting it again.
0: Yeah, that's true. So in the examination for discovery, you can uh, meet them in person and ask the questions and in, get an admission. Yes. And as part of their stage, do you also get a chance to collect their, any evidence that they may have? But they you may-
1: absolutely do. In fact, you get their documents before the discovery. Okay. And just, they have to produce what's called an affidavit of documents, an affidavit swearing that these are all the relevant documents they have. Mm-hmm. And then you get to cross-examine them on the documents okay. and everything else and what's in their statement of claim or statement of defense at discovery.
0: So as part of the evidence, you can also collect email records? Everything. Wow. Everything. That's a very powerful... Unlike stuff. criminal
1: trial where the accuser gets nothing. Which is why, in the Gomeshi case, we saw these women who look like deer in the headlights, seeing these things in cross examination at trial for the first time, not remembering it from ten years earlier, looking like fools. Mm. It can't happen in a civil trial because all the other side's documents are given to them in advance for them to review with their lawyer, and then they and you get to see the other sides, and then you can ask them questions on it. So by the time you get to trial, there's no surprises. Mm.
0: So the Gomeshi case, that was a criminal trial?
1: Yes. Oh, okay. and I'm talking, what I do is civil trials, oh, okay. usually wrongful dismissal, but other courts of civil trials, whereas I'm describing the process is very different. You have statements of claim of defenses, which you don't have in the criminal trial. You have affidavits of documents, where all, they have to produce all their documents, which you don't have in the criminal trial. At least the defense has to... The defense doesn't have to produce anything in the criminal trial. The crown has to produce everything. So the defense, or in the case of Gomeshi, I'm using it as an example, which everybody knows about Gomeshi. He got to see everything the other side had, but they didn't get to see anything that he had. Oh. In civil case, everybody gets to see what the other side has, and then they get to examine the other side on it. So everybody walks to trial fully knowledgeable about the case they have to meet, mm-hmm. which is why I say I cross-examine them hard, examine examination for discovery because at that point, I they're not so ready. Yes, they've seen the documents. Yes, they've thought about it, but not so hard. They haven't prepared as much. The lawyers probably spent all of two hours with them, not 40 hours with them. They might have been preparing, prepared for a trial. Mm-hmm. So that's when you're likely to get them weak. Interesting.
0: Um, so you have worked with big companies and also the executives. So do you think uh, big established businesses or well-known brands... They are likely to settle to avoid litigation even if they are guilty or innocent, regardless, because they just don't want the hassle and the reputational damage that comes through litigation.
1: It's a good question. And of course, the question is is the reputational damage? And what about the employee? What about their reputational damage? That's true. Because companies are going to survive whether or not they're found to be acted in property in a wrongful dismissal case. Yeah. But if an employee is found to have acted in property in a wrongful dismissal case, he or she's finished. Anybody, any new employer who, of course, all new employers these days, sorry, all employers for new employees these days, Google their names
0: mm-hmm.
1: and see what pops up. If you've been in a, unless your name is John Smith and there's a thousand John Smiths, if your name is a little more idiosyncratic and you pop in their name and you see they were suing their last employer, especially if they were found to been fired for misconduct of some kind, they're finished. The employer won't be finished, but the employee will be finished. So I think the pressure is much greater on the employee than on the employer. And I'm just gonna, while we're talking, I'm gonna do a little email search and see if I'm gonna find something for you. Okay. This was an interesting, this is an interesting case that came before Mac for Flair Airlines. And we were in there one day preparing her case, and lo and behold, what f- found it, what pops in front of our eyes, what we are call about the press, about a story they're running. And there's the story. It's the Okanagan edge, a guy named, uh, what is his name, point? Chris Point. Big picture of him in a tuxedo, looking proud. We said a Flair Airlines jet. I read a little bit further down the story and what does it say? In the claim, LaPointe says, Flair cited several reasons for his firing and his termination letter including, quote, recklessness in the performance of your duties, gross incompetence, breach of your fiduciary obligations, conflict of interest, unwarranted absenteeism, insubordination, and attempts to defraud. Now, what is the chance that Crystal Point is ever going to get another job? Now, what was interesting here is we hadn't even talked to the press. This was based on what he put in his own statement of claim. I don't know who gave that claim to the, to the press because generally speaking, someone has to tip the press off. There's just too many claims being filed and no papers have the resources anymore of having reporters sitting there waiting for an interesting claim to come in and reading all of them. So usually it's the employee himself thinking it's going to pressure the company or his lawyer or somebody they told about it who tips off the press. And then the story appears. And people don't realize the impact of what you put in your public pleadings when you file a civil lawsuit. Mm. Sometimes I have clients who are, who are accused of sexual harassment, and they have committed sexual harassment, but it's not that bad. And I say to them, you know, you did commit mild sexual harassment. It would meet the test, but it would not be enough in light of your length of service and the culture at the time, and the fact perhaps other people were doing the same thing, it won't be cause for your discharge. You'll win the case. And I say, well, couldn't anybody find out about it? Because so far the company's been good to me and kept it under wraps. People know I'm fired. They don't know why. Could people find out? I say, well, yes. If you sue them for more money, the company will file a defense, so will put that in the defense, and then it's potentially, what's well, on the public record if anybody wants to go and look for it. Mm-hmm. And so I've had clients say to me, even if I'd win $100,000, it's not worth it to me to ruin my reputation, for my wife to find out, to be rendered unemployable, so I'll pass on this case. Mm. And that goes both ways. Sometimes employers will make not such great offers because they know the employee can't afford to sue because of the reputational risk of a public document like this Crystal Point Newspaper article I'm reading from. Actually, it's a web. It's a website which has a few hundred thousand readers in Kelowna, writing all about his case.
0: hmm That's interesting. So, is there a way to make a statement of claim or defense private, or is it?
1: Yeah, it's called commercial arbitration. Both parties agree to arbitration. Usually, as you say, it's companies that don't want it in the press initially, anyway, because at least they think about it in advance. Yeah. Sometimes employees like to point foolishly put all this in their statement of claim and make it public, probably not considering what he's just going to do to his reputation. So companies sometimes in the employment contracts have arbitration clauses preventing employees from going to court. And in that case, they can only go through an arbitrator who will probably make the same decision as a judge, but it won't be public.
0: But if you go to court, then you can't stop? It's entirely public. Then anyone can search and access it? They can do
1: that. They can walk into the courtroom and watch the case. They can do any of those things.
0: And especially if the person or the brand happens to be a recognized uh, brand or person, then there will be some kind of media and public interest.
1: Yes, that's right.
0: So so it's unlikely that the case will stay hidden.
1: That's correct. It's very hard to keep it hidden. Look, it may not be picked up. Mm -hmm. You never know. Here's where it gets picked up. If there ends up being a decision of the judge, that will be picked up. That's a fact. The fact you filed a claim like Appointed, the chances are of anybody knowing about it or reading it or it, finding it is really remote because there's, I don't know, it's probably 5,000 claims issued a day in the province of Ontario of various kinds. Who's going to look for them unless someone tips them off?
0: Mm, and then the search specifically for that
1: case. Sure. Yeah. And a new employer may say, have you ever sued your previous employer? Wow. <laughs> and if they say yes, they may look it up. Yeah. And by the way, if they say no and it's, and it's untrue, that could be cause for their firing if the employer ever finds out later on because people don't understand if you lie to your employer about something that might have prevented you from being hired during the interview and the employer finds out about 10 years later, cause for discharge.
0: Wow. That is interesting.
1: Yes, and not known to most people. And similarly, I mean, lying is a fatal flaw in most workplace law cases. I was just talking about a case today where the employee, what he did wasn't so terrible. It was terrible, but it wasn't that terrible. It would not have been cause for his discharge in my opinion. I'm acting for this employee. But it just turned up that he, in the course of the case, that it wasn't The lie, uh, sorry, it wasn't the the misconduct. It's that when they investigate him on the misconduct, he lied about it. Mm. And that became the real cause for discharge. And sometimes when I'm acting for employers, I prepare investigative questions for them with a mind to potentially they're lying. And then we have a stronger ground to fire them in the lie than we did in what the investigation's about. And employees are so reluctant to admit admit misconduct, they often will lie, even though if they understood the law well enough, they know that what they're being accused of, what the misconduct was, wasn't serious enough to fire them Mm -hmm. with cause. Because misconduct, to be sufficient to be cause, has to be extremely serious, and usually there has to be written warnings. Mm -hmm. So, sure, employers will investigate their misconduct, but usually, it's just not cause. Mm-hmm. It's the line that is.
0: Interesting. So I learned that you are representing four female police officers. I well, guess.
1: we'll see where that goes. I'm not, I was, I'm not sure if that case is going to continue or not. okay. So, Is there easy going come, to... easy go, I guess. We'll see where it goes. I'm not sure what's going to happen with is, that is yet. Is
0: there going to be like a settlement or? Are, are there...
1: No, I, I may not be. I, I can't discuss it, but I may not be proceeding with that
0: case. Oh, okay. Okay, that's interesting. And um,
1: another thing... They are very happy with what I did with... They are very happy that in no time from retaining me, they had CTV, CP24, yeah. Global News, Toronto Sun, bang, News Talk 1010 with huge interest, but, and that was only a week or so ago, but sometimes cases go in funny ways i'm not sure how we continue to be acting
0: mm-hmm. and this 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 attention do you think if the case were to continue this media attention that they've received would it help them yes In this case for uh, sure
1: and it would not affect I think it already did it already did i believe so
0: and it would not affect their employment or future employment well
1: the, if the it, I, I don't i can't discuss the case at this point but if let me say this, there was nothing that it could do to make their employment any worse than it already was. <laughs> 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 okay.
0: okay, that makes sense.
1: <laughs> if anything, it would have the opposite effect.
0: Okay, it makes sense.
1: Because when the glare of light is shown on people who may not want to be, uh, what they're doing to be publicly known, yeah. they tend to improve their conduct.
0: That is true,
1: or at least not commit misconduct. Following that point,
0: that is true, um, and another case that I was mentioning that you have been working on, and is you're representing Jordan Peterson, your yes, new professor, and also Lindsay Shepard, yes, uh, she used to work as a TA for Wilfred Laurier University, yes, um, and that case has been going on for some time. It began when she was. Um, interrogated by three staff members of the university, a uh,
1: professor, a department chair, and the head of gender equity studies for the university.
0: Yeah, regarding a lecture yeah. that she did about the use of gender pronouns, I believe it she was, just showed a little clip—a a clip from, of, from Jordan, of Jordan Peterson, Peterson debating
1: a professor <laughs> on the other side—and all of a sudden she was hauled into this inquisition and yeah. just lambasted. It.
0: Yeah. So, uh, and what was wrong with that interrogation? I think I've, I've heard a portion of that. I haven't heard the whole recording, but from a legal or ethical perspective, what do you think was wrong with the way they treated her?
1: Well, it's not what I think is wrong. It's what the universities admitted was wrong. The universities admitted that it never should have happened, that what she did was entirely appropriate, Mm -hmm. that the way the professors and the head of gender studies dealt with it was breached all the university policies. Objectively, it was abusive. It was tyrannical. It was contrary to all academic freedom. It was entirely inappropriate. And then, of course, it's like uh, Jordan Peterson was this innocent victim in it because they take it upon themselves to viciously slander him. Yeah. So, you call him, like, analogize him to Hitler. Analogize Jordan Peterson, probably Canada's greatest public intellectual, not probably Canada's greatest public intellectual to the greatest dictator of the 20th century who murdered tens of millions of people. Yeah. I mean, quite some analogy.
0: That was a very uh, odd analogy. <laughs> um, I guess they yes. Were, they were trying to make a certain point, but I guess the analogy was not uh, making sense. Um,
1: but I'm if, not sure what point <laughs> they were trying to make there. They obviously don't like Dr. Peterson's views, mm-hmm. if they even know what his views are, which, of course, itself is a question, mm-hmm. and to try and, they really try to take the position that his views were not even worthy of discussion. Mm. So they demonized him to that extent, to try and intimidate her from discussing him again. And they told him that she's not to mention him anymore in any further lectures, and all lectures had to be run by her professor, Rabbi Canna, when it never had been before.
0: Mm-hmm. And in the statement of claim, uh, the... The university's lawyers argued. And the statement of defense. The, the statement of defense. The university's lawyers argued that because the re- recording was recorded by Lindsay Shepard and it was made public by Lindsay Shepard, Jordan Peterson should be going after Lindsay and not the university. And yeah. that was I thought that was an interesting response, and maybe a judge would maybe ponder on that for a
1: second. Well, I don't think they really were saying that you go after him. What they were her, what they were saying was they're not responsible for the damages she is, and therefore the damages against them should be reduced. Reduced. Because all they ever slandered him to was her, not well, to the wide world. Yeah. And the quick and easy answer to that is this. this. And they tried to argue this was some normal collegial session between a professor and a student. Well, no. A normal collegial session is not one when they, her professor and department chair, and the head of gender studies calls her in for an inquisition and assails her until she starts crying and then continues to assail her. That's not a normal collegial little session Mm -hmm. instructive between a teacher and an assistant in which she's vigorously and viciously rebuked. Mm -hmm. He is slandered. So let's assume you're her and you... Basically, never had any face time with your professor, let alone all of a sudden you hear the head of gender equities from the university is being invited to this meeting and a chair of a department of the university as well as your professor. What are you going to think? Well, I think that what you'd think logically is I'd better protect myself. I don't know what's coming. I'd better record this meeting mm. to prove what happened later on because otherwise. I'm not going to have any protection. Let's face it. If she had not recorded the meeting, there would have been no apology from the university. There would have been no public national, international scandal. That is true. So she did what I think is quite foreseeable okay. in recording it. So they should blame themselves, not her. And ultimately, who's the one who made the vicious comments? Mm. Not her. Them. So trying to say we should be blaming Lindsay Shepherd is a bit disingenuous at mm-hmm. best.
0: Mm-hmm. So it should have been foreseen by them that a recording is possible. Yes given given the nature of the meeting the context of the meeting what they were saying to her what they were saying to her it was reasonably Foreseeable. foreseeable that this could happen.
1: Correct. Use legal language, reasonably foreseeable. <laughs> and also, let's assume she hadn't recorded it. It was reasonably foreseeable that she would talk about it, tell other people, maybe tell the media. They might talk about it, the three others in the room. I mean, mm. it's foreseeable that it would get around. It was such a a crazy, anomalous, nightmarish meeting.
0: And And what is interesting is she's not... Legally required to notify them that she's no. recording them. There's no legal obligation upon.
1: It. That's correct. There's no legal obligation on anybody to notify others that they're recording them. Mm-hmm. Other than lawyers, we have an obligation under professional conduct. We can't walk around recording, but you can.
0: Uh, yeah. So I guess she she didn't break any laws by recording the not meeting or by those three people or even releasing it to no not at to, all to the media.
1: That's correct. I mean, what you can't do is tape record third parties' conversation where you're not part of the conversation. In other words, you can't walk into a room and leave a recording device operating when other people are meeting and you're not even there. But the theory is, legal theory is, if they're prepared to say it in front of you, they're prepared to have it repeated. Mm -hmm. So you can record your own conversations. I think there was a case once where a waiter was standing near enough to people at a restaurant He was sort of eavesdropping, had a recording device on. They had no reason to believe he was listening. They had no reason to believe they were being recorded. And that was viewed as criminal conduct because he wasn't part of the conversation. Mm. But if he was part of the conversation, he'd be entirely entitled, as any Canadian would, to record the conversation. Again, except for lawyers.
0: That is interesting. And so Lindsay Shepard, she experienced this, this unfortunate meeting. Um, but she didn't take any legal action. She, she obviously she, not then. Not not at that moment. She didn't take any action. The recording somehow became public. I'm not sure how. Maybe she released it to the she released she, it. Yes. She released it to the media, and she gave them the permission to use it. Um, and then after about let's say six, seven months, she decided to take legal action.
1: Yes, because her life is made hell by everybody thereafter at the university. What what they happened? Didn't, they didn't. It was unremitting. Um, her, she was appointed a new professor after Repicana, who had signed an open letter opposing her position, and that professor gave her a very hard time in various ways that I delineated my statement of claim. Um, the attacks just continued on every front, so they took this entirely frivolous complaint from a another student who, at the end of the day, I mean. I'm not allowed to talk about the complaint because of the rules of the university, but instead of just dismissing it out of hand, they made her sit on in an interrogation about that and defending herself and I'll just say I view the complaint as being ridiculous and something that should have been dismissed out of hand. Mm-hmm. They're just It appeared they were looking for any angle to try and embarrass the prosecutor.
0: So do you think this this complaint that this, which was supposedly made by the student? Do you think this was some kind of scheme by those faculty members, professors? No, no.
1: He was part of the Rainbow Coalition. Um,
0: so this was his own complaint. It was not inspired by those people who were previously recorded. It wasn't in any, any way connected to those people. It wasn't the weight of getting back at it. I
1: don't believe so. Okay. I believe this person would file that complaint at his own initiative.
0: Oh, okay. But the way that complaint was...
1: was I think mean, the complaint was frivolous. It was investigated. Yeah, it was, okay. I can't say what happened.
0: Um. Okay. Nice. That, yeah, that, that was uh, interesting. I guess um, this complaint, which was possibly frivolous, came about. And then uh, the, I guess the way the complaint was handled may, may not have been the best. Again, I don't know the details. Uh, but do you believe it should, it should have been... Uh, have been uh, discarded. Yes,
1: that's all I can say okay. at this point. Um, we might be able to shortly talk about what did happen to it, and um,
0: okay. but I can't
1: talk about that at this point. Okay, that's, that's or at least maybe I can, but I don't have my client's permission yet to okay. talk about it. Okay, so therefore I can't.
0: And um, uh, the case that with, with Jordan Peterson, um, where what what stage is it at right now? Um, are, are, well,
1: it- we've issued, um, we issued a claim, they filed a defense, sorry, we've issued a claim, they brought a motion to strike out, Dismissed. a portion of, no, just one paragraph of the, def- of the claim. We resisted that and we won that motion, it had to pay a couple of thousand dollars in costs for bringing the motion unwarrantedly, and now we have their defense and now we've either, I think yesterday we filed a reply, so now we can move the case along.
0: Okay. So now well, these things
1: take a long time. There's a motion of the court, so everything gets delayed. Mm-hmm. And then Lindsay, again, the same thing's occurring. They bring motions to try and challenge various claims she's made, and that will have to be determined.
0: Okay. So do you think some kind of tricks are being played to keep the case out of court? I think they will
1: do what they can to delay, yes. All,
0: all kinds of Possible tactics for delaying. I think
1: they will do whatever they can to keep this case <laughs> delayed as long as possible. Okay. Because this case could not reflect well on them.
0: Okay. And which which portion of the uh, claim of Jordan Peterson had they had an issue with?
1: It was the paragraph that said. And understand, their issue has to be for legal reasons, so it may not make a whole lot of sense to your listeners. That the paragraph said ironically, Peterson's because they attacked his credentials. They said he had no academic credentials and basically an academic charlatan which is outrageous because he has so many peer-reviewed papers dramatically more than they do and that's what a paragraph said it said ironically peterson's academic qualifications are dramatically greater than either pimlott's or abucana's which is indisputably true Mm -hmm. and they tried to strike that out
0: (laughs) (laughs) that is that is interesting
1: they try to argue it's irrelevant to the case and is only intended to prejudice and to create color. Well, I think it's quite relevant to the case, mm. to whether these people slandered him or not.
0: That is. Anyway,
1: the 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 um, master, who's the court official deciding procedural issues, decided in our favor. Okay. And That's let that proceed and continue with the claim.
0: That is interesting, and one of those uh, three employees, I believe it was. Ad, Adria Joel. Um, yes. he's no longer working. She's she no longer working with the university. Correct.
1: So the I have no idea what happened to her, but the university is defending her and paying for her legal defense. Oh, interesting. Well, the university right. is giving a lot of support, of the things they're saying—they're they're repeating the same slanders against Dr. Peterson in their public filings.
0: Oh, wow! And they're trying to
1: see that everything he said about him is true. It's bizarre.
0: Interesting. And uh, Professor Rambucana, is he still working with the university? Is he As still... I understand it, yes. Okay. So they have not dismissed or terminated anyone because of this We're scandal. unaware
1: of any discipline. Uh, okay. Now, I'm not saying there haven't been any. I'm saying that we're unaware of any discipline.
0: Okay. If they had taken any disciplinary action, they would not want you and your clients to know?
1: because Well, they... I will find out. Eventually, when we have examination or for discovery, for, for discovery. Yes.
0: Okay, that is particularly interesting. Perfect. Um, when you engage in litigation, trial, pre-trial, what kind of tricks and tactics do you see being used by lawyers?
1: Oh. How many days do we have? (laughs) That's
0: a big big question. That's a big question. There's many
1: things that lawyers can do at different stages of the game. It depends on whether objective is to delay, to create expense, to... I had a client today complaining that after five years of a case, the other side is now bringing a motion, coming up with new documents, Mm -hmm. and putting in new allegations, or statement of defense, to try and... Defeat his claim for wrongful dismissal, and of course we're arguing it's too late now. It'd be unfair to him, but they're relying on emails from him, so it's harder for him to argue it's unfair to him because there his emails, albeit several years old. So we'll see what the court does with that. The reality is, in the days of electronic transmission, people write things that are maybe a decade old, but there's millions of documents they've written. And it's quite, it's, it's believable. In the old days, it wasn't believable because people just wrote memos and there were a limited number of them. But nowadays, it's believable that the company won't have seen every email he ever wrote. They'll use keywords and everything to retrieve email to prepare themselves in the case, but that won't necessarily bring up everything. Mm. When somebody in the course of a long career might have written literally millions of emails no, no company and no lawyer is going to sit there and read through millions of emails, mostly saying, I'm, you know, I, uh, here's my sick note or, you know, or whatever. It's got nothing to do with the case. Mm-hmm. Or some boring, banal, irrelevant email dealing with some aspect of their job that has nothing to do with the case. So it's commonplace. If they keep looking, they're going to find something they hadn't seen the first time question is to what extent that should prejudice the client. But lawyers can keep looking, keep digging, keep trying to find new things, keep amending their statements of claim or statements of defense and make the case, frankly, unaffordable to an average person. Mm. All legitimately.
0: So how do judges view and respond to these tactics? Do they just have to accept that this is part of the game?
1: If they believe that it was done in good faith and they believe the person isn't prevented from Defending themselves because it's just too many decades or years later They let it in the presumption is that everything will be allowed in Mm -hmm. and you can file what defense you can It's very hard to dismiss a case based or dismiss a claim based on It being old Mm -hmm. If it justifies the dismissal In other words if they find some allegation of fraud that occurred a long time ago But the company really didn't know about it until then they could or they find you lied in your resume might well, be let in 10 years later, as I was saying earlier. So they can. That's the law.
0: Interesting. That is pretty interesting. Um, well, Howard, it has been very nice uh, speaking with you and learning about you and your background. Well, thank you very much for <laughs> and your interviewing me. So thank you so much for taking the time.
1: Great. Thank
0: you.